Three, two, two one. Let's, let's go. go. I'm the host of the PBE podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, sitting at Image 2023, where all the brightest minds, the technology that's riding the edge, right? And I heard a quote recently. If you're not, ta- if you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And so here we are at Image 2023. We have modern technology, modern geologic concepts, new ideas, new businesses. We have all these things happening. And we get to sit down at Microseismic Inc.'s booth, two straight days, nine shows. First one is with Dr. John McKenna. Yeah, my name's John McKenna. I've been working with Microseismic Inc. for 12 years. Um, it's been really exciting. It's been some of the best uh, years of my life in, in terms of my career. Wow. Um, we've done all sorts of super cool stuff. Um, I've been innovating the technology all along the way, and it's been a great time. You know, I started out uh, with my undergraduate degree from the University of Georgia uh, in geology. Then I moved on and got my uh, master's degree in geophysics. And that was also in Atlanta? In Atlanta. Whoa. And then, or so you're in a Athens, Georgia. I'm a University oh. of Georgia bulldog. Bulldog. And then uh, moved out to, to Denver, got a job with the U.S. Geological Survey and worked there for 10 years. And during that time, I got a PhD with the Colorado School of Mines, Whoa. geological engineering, wow. and then started here with Microseismic Inc. Man, that's a pretty impressive uh, resume. Yeah. Right. And uh, did you have dads or moms or uncles or aunts? Like, who got you into geology? How did you started? Like, how did you even go this route? So you know, I I started my undergraduate degree at the University of Georgia, and um, I, I took a year and went to University of Oregon for my sophomore year. You were a duck too. I was a duck for my <laughs> wow. sophomore year, and I went all over uh, the Pacific Northwest looking at all the amazing rock formations wow. out there. You've got subduction zones. Yeah, you've you got do. Volcanoes, serpentinizations going on, and that's what really got me into it. Whoa. So that was that, that you went to Oregon just to find your place in geology. I did. Nice. Well, at least Oregon's good for something. <laughs> just kidding. My parents live there. Uh, well, cool, man. So you get your degrees from, from Georgia. Uh, you got some major mentors along the way that are kind of like really guiding you through that and, and giving you a vision of like what you can do yeah. as a professional, what you can do with these degrees. Absolutely. I mean, when I started at, at the uh, U.S. Geological Survey, that's where I really got into field work and lab work and wow. you know understanding multiple working hypotheses we had all sorts of amazing scientists there and then Kemp come here at uh, microseismic inc i mean michael thornton peter duncan they're very inspirational um we've had some really good scientists come through Man. amazing right on so you go usgs what were you doing for them landslide and debris flow research oh wow so up and down the coast of uh like western U- u.s because that's where a lot of that happens yeah i was primarily uh working in the coast range of oregon and then all the way up into seattle and portland and Whoa. uh and then we did a lot of work down in california as well where were your headquarters we're headquartered in denver oh, Colorado. Okay. um and uh my office was on the colorado school of mines campus and that's how i got involved with CSM because we had a joint lab and that's how I then transitioned to working on my PhD there. We had a joint Uh, laboratory. So how does that go? How does, you know, you got a PhD in geological engineering. Yeah. That seems like a 
seems broad, but it also seems very specific at the same time, if that makes any sense. Like, how, how does that go? Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, it, it really was eye opening for me as a geologist, um, because then you're incorporating all the engineering uh, dynamics that go along in the science. And so it, it really opened up. It was it was basically saying, OK, I only understand about 50 percent of the problem. When you bring in the engineering, that's the other 50 percent. OK. And so it's very important, especially talking to engineers here. How do we how do we relay the message between geophysicists, geologists and, and engineers? And that's Whoa. what I try to do. Wow. What's the trick, man? What's the language there? What's your. What's your tricks? You know, my trick is to just, um, you know, think about the problem ahead of time, you know, really understand it yeah. and um, apply all the theory and observations and, you know, continue to change and work on your multiple working hypotheses. Wow, man, we always talk about that. We always bringing up the idea of like, all right, we're really good at one thing. We're really good at doing this. And it's like, OK, let's master that. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's limit all potential risk let's make it very calculatable like right predictable all those things and then it's like at the same time you need to be changing you need to be innovating you need yeah. to be uh, taking calculated risks I, I guess so over the years over your 12 years of kind of working with microseismic seeing it progress from where it came from to where it was in 12 years ago to where it is today you know, what, what do you see as far as some of those changes that were, were good and some of the changes that were bad, stuff like that? Yeah, you know, when I first started, we weren't, um, we didn't even have uh, any engineers working at our company. And then oh, we evolved wow. to where we had um, a whole engineering uh, group. And that's what we have now. I'm the head of the completions evaluation group. And um, it's, it's an important part of our group. Um, we, uh, like I said, we take all this geophysical information and we relay it uh, to the engineers. And um, we've evolved every, every one of our projects that we do, we have evolved from all of the previous projects. So it's like we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, that's um, right, man. We, uh, we are constantly learning. That's why our 20 years of experience with Microseismic Inc. is, is so powerful. It's because we continue to evolve. Um, we've had a lot of success in uh, stress modeling, in fracture modeling, in um, understanding fluid flow. Um, mm. There has been, um, you know, some a lot of ideas that we come up with that eventually kind of go to the wayside. But that's just part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of weeding through all that stuff. Wow. So you get out of a, you get your degrees, you get through USGS, you get in your opportunity. When you started with Microseismic, was it what's changed the most, in your opinion, I guess, with Microseismic technology from when you started to today? So we are our, our, our uh, algorithms continue to evolve. Um, we've uh, really developed um, the ability for auto moment tensor inversion, and that opened up the door for us. What that is, is when we locate microseismic events, they're just like little earthquakes or they're, they're like uh, big earthquakes, but on the micro scale. And so it's not just the X, Y, Z date time. We also have this incredible information like these uh, fractures that you see here where we can understand the orientation of the fractures, right. strike, dip, 
but also the rate, which direction it's moving. Um, and so that auto moment tensor inversion that tells us all that information for every single microseismic event just opens up the doors what for, for the? all sorts of fracture modeling and then evaluating stress and how that stre stress changes dynamically. And we can also get how the fractures are even opening or if they're closing and that volumetric sense. So there's so much information there that we can just evolve wow. and, and continue to run with that type of information. So when a microseismic event happens in the reservoir, for example, you get, uh, you get a data set that ends up looking like a million bubbles, right? And they're like different sizes, magnitudes, and different changes. When, when you're recording that, or is it, how the heck does that happen? So you got a, you got a normal fault happening in the reservoir. It's only so big and it's, you know, it's size. So you have, you have a set of micro seismic events that are really specifically like shaping out a normal fault. And you mm -hmm. can kind of start seeing the boundaries of that as it's, as it's switching to. That's exactly right. Wow. And so that rock, as it breaks in some fashion, that those waves are transferred up to the surface where we have our all of our right. uh, sensors and we record that motion on the sensors and whatever it, it looks like, we resolve that from the radiation pattern and uh, intensity of those in events. real time in real time. Golly. And so we can see how everything is evolving and changing. And, and all micro seismic events are not created equal. You see that <laughs> cloud of events. Yeah. It really uh, is very specific on uh, what is happening in that area. When you when you treat a well here and then you move to an offset well, the pressure created from here is going to influence your frack over here. But we may see micro seismic events on that previously treated well. But what it's showing us is that the stresses have changed in that area. And um, there's pressures that are developed from that initial treatment that are pushing the other frack away from it. And once that stress shadow goes away, we see the mechanisms changing and you're sending all your fluid back to that previously treated well. Oh, wow. It's it can sink. be extremely important. Yeah, because that could be a sink. That's a pressure sink. Pressure sink. And you're not exactly. stimulating anything new. So let's, uh, let's clear the airwaves. Pardon the pun. Uh, I heard that, or I, there's a rumor that the the amount of force that we're using to hydraulically fracture is is equivalent to like tectonic scale forces. Is that true? It can be. Yes. Wow. Yeah, we can uh, reactivate faults very easily. Places like the Vaca Muerta in Argentina, um, you can actually shear off the wellbore or in the Eagleford. We see this wow. happening uh, very. The Eagleford has commonly. a bunch of shearing going on. Yeah, and so as you're building up pressure from the toe to the heel we see uh, the microseismic events getting bigger and uh, more common, more frequent. Um, so you're building that pore pressure as you're going from the toe to heel. And so once you get to that heel, you're creating so much pressure oh that gosh. they can shear off the well, especially in the heel. <laughs> so this can be a way that we can say, okay, at, at, some, at some point enough is enough. We don't wanna wow. uh, cause any problems with the wellbore. And right. these are the type of answers we can we can provide with microseismic monitoring. I wish we had a lot more time together because I feel like there's so many cool rabbit holes to go down with you on, on what you're seeing in the data. 
But last question on the technical stuff: as you're as you're modeling uh, a, 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 an area and you're figuring out where what the fault's doing, the focal mechanism, you know, of this this area, um, it's it's tension. The geologic rock record shows us that where tension takes place in geologic time at, at, at outcrop is typically where you see these big dumps of like the copper or gold or whatever the resources we're trying to find, oil and gas. It's happening where tension's taking place. So you're you're modeling that. Is that you, you're modeling kind of where tension's happening, and yeah, and then you're getting your fluid flow through the tension of the system. Yeah, it's just like these cubes we're seeing. You have to understand the orientation of the three of the principal stresses: sigma yep. one, two, and three. Yeah, and that really drives how these fractures develop. And um, and then as you increase the pressure, you reactivate more complex fracture orientations. And that's the key. You know, we want to understand, can we increase the complexity and what are the effects of of changing the stress? When you inject, you're changing that stress. You move over to another well, you've changed that stress around that previously treated area. What are the effects wow. of that? Sometimes there can be rotations wow. that can make other faults more prone to failure Whoa. so we need to we need to understand that yeah if you're changing the stress fields which is changing where tension's really going on mm -hmm. in your oil reservoir you can be closing pathways of migration for that oil to come to your well bores and get to your tanks or you could be opening them i mean yeah exactly you know in <laughs> other industries like in geothermal it's all about the dilation tendency of different of the fractures that's where we're getting the the increased per, uh, permeability. So as you change these things, you know, what's happening there, which fractures are dilating and wow. which ones are, are, are less that's prone to dilation. That's exactly where I want to take the rest of this show with you is Microseismic Inc. 20 years of history, 20 years of listening and just seeing the details in the in, at the micro level, right? And mm -hmm. mapping that and all the algorithms, everything that you guys have, all the experience in that. The team is still together. You learned all these years through oil and gas, what's happening? How are you applying that to karst and carbon sequestration and and uh, geothermal? How does this apply? Yes, yeah, so um, we can. We've taken all of our experience and we packaged it up into all these different products, but we're repurposing it. Yeah, for geothermal, um, looking at these stress changes, understanding uh, fracture modeling, looking at uh, propent transport um, so in, in geothermal exploration they're they're uh, they're horizontally drilling and fracking not in the exploration phase but in the actual enhanced geothermal systems um, there's conventional but then a lot of companies are actually fracking the rock creating more uh, permeability and it's very similar to the hydraulic fracturing uh, that we have okay. going on in oil and gas the difference is we need to model these profit packs very precisely because we, we don't want the propent packs from two different wells to actually be combining because we need to have them separated at least a bit so that, you know, the fluid has time to go into the natural part of the reservoir and, and get heated up so that it can be produced and turned into steam. So, um, you know, Whoa. these are things that, that we're trying to understand. It is, it is a little bit different than yeah. oil and gas. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, we, we, we're going into uh, the karst, uh, karstic terrain, monitoring for sinkholes. We can locate these sinkholes as they're forming, and uh, and then the companies can go in, target those areas, and grout, 
so that we don't have any catastrophic wow. failure. You wow. know, and with CO2 sequestration, it's all about cap rock integrity. So we can see if microseismic events are getting, are propagating through that cap rock because we don't want CO2 getting into the water. Okay, so if you can see microseismic events propagating through the cap rock, mm -hmm. then you know that you have a higher probability of cap rock failure and mm -hmm. CO2 leakage if you're trying to inject underneath that. That's right. And you're doing that with surface array? Surface array is the key because uh, we have a, an unbiased look at the entire mappable area. Wow. Um, and, How big um, of a surface array can you put out? We can put out as big of an array as you want. What? Um, in fact, we have arrays that um, we're constantly infilling and and uh, and then uh, adding on to, so we can just keep making it bigger and bigger. Wow, man, yeah, stimulating. Uh, I, my brain is is going crazy. I look forward to reading more of your papers and what you produce for for our industry and for the progression of where this is all going. You know, we're excited. We're enthusiastic. We have we have people that can communicate between geology and engineering. You know, what an exciting time it um, is to, to be doing this. So thank you so much, Dr. John McKenna. Thank you, Troy. I appreciate it. Likewise.